Thank you for tuning into Destiny House Church as we seek to draw closer to Jesus. We're so glad you've joined us today. Please enjoy this message by Pastor Court or one of the other anointed speakers as we pursue the Father's heart. Please, 
please forgive me. The things that I've said this week, the things that I've done this week, Jesus, will you please forgive me of those sins? Will you give me freedom right now, God? We know that your freedom has been given to us over 2,000 years ago, Father, and just ask today that you would speak with boldness and with power and with clarity, God. I just can't get past that phrase, you know, two weeks in a row. And that song, you're a beautiful father. Well, I, there's just something about those words. The way they connect us together, the way that they connect the church together, the way that they bring unity. What a beautiful father that he is. Father, you are amazing. I cannot wait for the opportunity one day in eternity to be able to be literally in your presence, our sovereign father, in your presence. close your eyes and just picture that right now you come into the kingdom and Jesus meets you he grabs a hold of you he gives you this amazing hug a hug that you've never received before in your life like this and he wraps his arm around you and just like a father just kisses his baby all over. That's what Jesus starts doing to you. He just starts kissing you. The one that he died for. The one that he laid his life down for. He begins to kiss you and hug you and laugh with you and smile with you and have joy with you and he embraces you and then in a split second the embrace stops and immediately you hit your knees because the presence of the Father is there and you see Him as He really is, not what the church has manufactured Him to look like, but you see Him as He really is and you're in awe, you're awestruck at how
looking good this morning. Look at yourself and say, I'm handsome. Some of you literally just try to look at yourself, and that frightens me completely. Amen. Good to see you guys today. I want to jump right into this this morning with a, a statement I believe the Lord gave me last night. I know you guys, all of us can agree today uh, that you folks do not need to hear my heart today. But you do need to hear God's heart today. Hearing my heart will not benefit you in the least bit. Say amen. Amen. But hearing the heart of God will fill you to overflowing and bring you to a place of completeness in your spirit today, in your soul today. And isn't that what we're striving for, to be more like Jesus every day, right? Amen. We're not trying to be more and more like other Christians. Amen to that? Somebody else should say a loud amen to that. Because some Christians are acting crazy and doing some crazy stuff. Oh, look, here's one now. She tolerates me. Praise God. Oh, man. Amen. This morning I want to talk about contending with devils. Um, I know some of you may automatically think with that title that this is going to be a super spiritual sermon against the dark side. Um, but I really want to uh, allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you on a topic that I believe is one of the biggest devils that we contend with uh, in our lives. Uh, this morning we're going to get very real. Uh, look at your neighbor and say, let's get real. All right. Look at your other neighbor and say, you need to get real. I wonder how many conflicts and fights I've started with marriages <laughs> over the years. I can't believe you listened to Pastor Court and told me to get real. <laughs> Going to El Paso all upset today. We don't want that. You know, um, I, I thought about um, the scripture that I'm about to give you um, thought about the scripture often many for many years and and you know my understanding of it has changed so much over the years and and so I want to how many of you know the best sermons are the ones that start with scripture amen because um, if we are not basing uh, the words that are coming out on this pulpit or from this pulpit today um, on scripture then we really should just go ahead and go home because none of you are going to be changed by a motivational speech, right? None of you are going to be changed by a motivational speaker, and God knows I can never be a motivational speaker, praise God. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Let me read that again. There is therefore now no condemnation in those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. How is it that we can be in Christ? Well, the theology is, is a little deep, but the simplicity is, is very evident. When you enter into a relationship with Jesus, not only confessing Him, but believing in Him, trusting in Him, you have entered into Him. You have entered into Christ, and you are a part of Him. Somebody say amen. amen. We are going to wake up here in just a second, okay? When I Usually y'all wake up when I start saying things you don't like, you know? When, when a pastor reads Romans 8, 1, they're like, oh yeah, let's go, let's go, this is good, right? And it is good because there is no condemnation to those that have a relationship with Jesus. Y'all should give the Lord a hand for that right now. 
Amen. Let's look at what David penned in Psalm 32.3, referencing his own sin. He says, For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. We see in verses 3 and 4, David gives us this very vivid physical description here of struggling with his sin and his guilt. He's not struggling with condemnation. He's struggling with guilt and the regret and the pain of the sin that he has committed against God. He says that his bones, in other versions, says that his bones wasted away when he kept silent, when he did not confess his sins, and then he describes carrying the weight of his guilt and God's hand being heavy upon him. How many of you understand that, that conviction when you do things that are go against your relationship with Jesus and you sin specifically repeatedly, there is a heaviness of guilt and conviction that is laid upon your mortal body, your soul, and your spirit. I'm talking to the Christians here today. If you say, somebody said to me the other day, I, I, I just don't feel conviction about this. I don't feel conviction about this. I don't feel conviction about this. And I said, do you feel conviction about anything? And this young person says, no, I don't. And I said, well, then you need to ask yourself, you need to ask the Lord, um, are you actually a Christian? Because without conviction, without us walking around feeling the weight of burden and guilt of conviction, when we continue to sin, without that conviction, all of you and those listening to Spotify today and even this pastor standing in front of you, we all need to question if we have a real relationship with God, if we are able to continue sinning over and over and over and over again, methodically, with pattern deliberately and not feel any conviction. So David is, is saying how heavy his life is. In our hearts, God convicts us. But the devil that I want to talk about today that we contend with is condemnation and shame. Condemnation and shame. To convict, meaning conviction, is to impress with a sense of guilt, to convince of error or sinfulness. But in contrast, to, to condemn is to express judgment or strong disapproval with impending judgment after sentencing. Conviction on one hand is corrective, but condemnation is long term, including Death, including eternal death. Remember, the Bible talks about two deaths. The deaths that we occur from our mortal body when we die, and also the second death, which is what us Christians will not face. We will not face a second death, which is entering to the place called hell. We've got to learn, learn to discern in the Bible, just like we talked about last week. Everybody says, fear not, fear not. Well, you're, sure, you don't need to fear the enemy. You don't need to fear the devil. You don't need to fear certain things in life. You don't need to fear COVID. You don't need to fear cancer. You don't need to fear this or fear that. But you should absolutely have a reverential, faithful, trustful, healthy fear of God. Amen. Right? Amen. So... We see in 2 Corinthians 7.10, for godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation. Not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. 
So we see what God does here, but Satan's tone is sharp in contrast. God is, when he convicts us, he speaks to us in, in a different tone, a tone of lovingness, a loving father tone that says, court, you don't need to be doing that anymore. You need to not just be sorry, but you need to be repentive, which is turning the other opposite direction of the sin that you committed and committing a path unto me. Now, when we walk around saying, oh, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Mom. I'm sorry, Dad. I'm sorry, Wife. I'm sorry, Husband. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It negates what that is actually supposed to be doing. Sorry means nothing, but repentance means everything. Amen. And see, when the, light fl when the lights flash like that, that's God saying, good job, Court. <laughs> I was just thinking, uh, most everything that I hear now, I, I relate to things that Cooper says. So, Dad, I want to, um, he doesn't say peanut butter and jelly sandwich. He, what does he say, Candace? Is Candace back there? What's he saying? Yes. He just says something weird that you don't understand, kind of like what my wife just did. And, 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 and he'll say that, and then I'll make him a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, and he'll say, good job, Dad. Good job, Dad. And he'll just, you know, run off and eat it. <laughs> but, but, you know, but, but we need to hear those things from God where he says, good job. You know, one day you're going to face the Lord is going to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Or if you're not a follower of Christ and you're just a religious person sitting in church, when you die one day, he's going to look at you and say, depart from me, I never knew you. That's going to happen. That's, is it unfortunate? Yes, but that absolutely is going to happen. I know, I, listen, I feel like I'm preaching a series lately and, and maybe we should have called it a series but, but during these last four weeks, five weeks, we've been in the same vein of, of learning to examine who we really are or not in Christ. Is there anything more important to be preaching about right now in America than that? Knowing, the knowing on the inside of you, let, let's just get to the, this, this real part. So many of you today are still walking around with secrets. So many of us today are walking around in secrets. And that secret sin, has you have allowed the enemy to turn it into shame. And it has turned into shame because you think that you have gotten so far that you can't come back. But I want you to know today, the Father, like we just saying about he's so beautiful and he's so perfect and he's so loving. He wants his kids to come to him and say, Dad, I've been living in the bondage of shame. Some of you have been depressed for so many years. Now you've stopped even thinking about it, doing anything about it, but you've entered into the land of shame. It's a horrible place to live because shame is the opposite of God's love. Amen. Shame, the enemy through this, this devil of shame wants you to be downtrodden, wants you to, be, wants you to second guess every five seconds your worthiness to God. The only thing that makes you unworthy to God is not receiving his son. Don't you understand the blood is so much more powerful than we give it credit for? Amen. You parents, unknowingly, some of you have been shaming your children. I said on Wednesday night after this last week, I really wanted to put a post out and say, parents, repent for being jerks to your kids. And kids... 
repent for being jerks to your parents. It's not a one-way street. And when we take somebody's past and we throw it in their face and we make them feel less than, you are taking on the characteristic of a demon. God does not come out here on church and say, hey, I want to show everybody everything that you did wrong this week. Even though you've repented of it, I want to replay it to you so that you can feel bad about your mistakes. If that's the way you believe about God, then you don't understand how much he loves and cares about you. I saw this example in my mind uh, yesterday, and then I and then I found a picture, but it's it's like a ship, and this ship has got tentacles all around it. This large octopus that is just trying to pull the ship down, and 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 these tentacles, which is the shame. And, and I want you to really listen to this because this is a time where you can make a correction through examination and repentance today, and you can actually walk out of this building today. Because remember, this is not a church, this is a building. You're the church. So the church can leave here today, and you can go about your merry way, and guess what? You can walk out in freedom. You don't have to walk out with, with shame and condemnation. Hey, listen, you made a mistake last night. You can repent right now while I'm talking, and God will forgive you. Come on, let's give him a hallelujah or an amen or a thank you, Jesus. Oh, man, he's, he's such a good God, and we forget because we've been taught so wrong on so many levels by so many different teachers that say that they've got it right. But I'm going to tell you, the word has it right. There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those that are in Christ. Amen. That's you. Amen. So then what gives us the right? To hold somebody else into contempt. You don't have an answer to that because there is no good answer when we do that. We don't have the right. If I take two different people. If I take one of your children from one family and another child from another family. And this one child over here on your left is the one that's about to graduate college and is the one that's doing all sorts of great things and they got a 4.0 and they, they are Mr. Popular or Miss Popular and they're in this sport and they're doing good and they're about to get a good job and everybody loves them and they've got such a great reputation and then you take this kid over here that's been a drug addict, that's struggled, that's had issues, and everybody knows him or her for those issues. But this kid over here just recently said, Jesus, please forgive me. I'm moving forward in you. But this kid over here that looks like the new shiny penny and the city and every and he could be the mayor, he could be the president, she could be the mayor, she could be the president, and you're looking at this one and you're basing it on appearance. Let me tell you right now, this one here is on their way to hell, and this one here is on their way to heaven. And I'll be honest with you, Candace and I have really struggled over the years. With, and this is selfish. This is selfish. From every angle, this is selfish. But hopefully, you can hear the heart of God out of what I'm saying. Because as I said a minute ago, my heart is unimportant to benefit you. But Candace and I, we would sit around and we would either go to dinner with somebody or we'd hear and we'd hear them talk about their kids. We hear them talk about their college kids. We hear them talk about how great their kids were doing and that they accomplished this in high school and they became an Eagle Scout and they, they were this and they did this and they're going this direction and they're, they're, they're just doing, oh, we're so proud and they're our pride and joy. And all those things may absolutely be true, but Candace and I were thinking, man, we want to be able to say that. 
We want to be able to say, man, this and this and this. You know, because Candace and I, we refuse to be fake people. We refuse to stand up in the pulpit and say, hey, guess what's going on here? And guess what's going on here? And wow, wow, and wow, and double wow. And aren't y'all so impressed? And wow, look at the picture on Facebook of the pastor's family. They're so shiny and, and new, and they look just so happy. It's all a lie. Maybe not all of it. But the majority of what you see in picture and video out there is a lie. Amen. And if we're going to be a real church, we've got to stand together in the good, the bad, and the ugly in unity and say, guess what? My kid's doing well, but guess what, pastor? Guess what? This person, that person, I'm not naming names, but I know many of your stories, and you're down, and you've got, there's a shame inside you that you've allowed to grow by the enemy because of what your kids are doing, what your grandkids are doing. And I want you to tell right now, tell you right now, that is not from God. God does not put shame and condemnation on you or your children or your grandchildren, and you do not have the gifting or the ability or the power to do that to them. we got to praise Jesus in the hurricane, in the storm, in the fire, in the flood, in every situation. You praise God even though you can't see it, smell it, touch it, or taste it. You believe and you trust God with your children because you can go back and say, Father God, I laid my kids at the altar and it's your responsibility. Shame is suffocating, it's self-deprecating, it's painful, and it feels never-ending. And one of the worst parts of shame is feeling as if you, you, you have a change and then you're knocked back. I have this picture of a, a guy uh, putting up a boulder, and then, then surprisingly enough, I found one on the internet. Wow. It's amazing. But don't you feel like this sometimes? With maybe a sin that you've struggled with for your whole life. You push the boulder up. You go two, three days a month. Six months. A year without committing that sin. And then you commit that sin. You make a mistake. And you just feel the weight of that boulder that you've been pushing. Smash right over you and put you back. And this is what shame looks like. And this is how shame is when you don't understand the love of the Father. You're trying to work yourself to be better for God. There is nothing that you can do or not do to take away from the potency of his sacrifice. But see, y'all don't understand that. And I don't understand that. And those listening, hopefully today or tomorrow, later this week on Spotify, they, many of us don't understand the love of God is so sovereign. It's so perfect. If we're working to try to be good enough for God and appeasing to God, we don't really believe the Bible, do we? Because we're trying to give him yet another idle sacrifice. Oh God, if I just pray more. God, if I just show up more. God, if, you, if I could just use my giftings more. God, if I just knew more. God, if I just had more wisdom. God, if I could just do this more, I would be more pleasing to you. God says, why are you trying to take that yoke upon you when I have already given you freedom in my son. With me, there is no boulder. There is no yoke. In fact, I, I give you my presence. I give you the comforter. Jesus said, it's better that I go. The disciples are all messed up and, and scared. What are we going to do without you? And Jesus says, you, you don't get it. I'm going to send the great comforter and he's going to do even more than I did. Pushing a huge boulder up a mountain. 
You can easily love Jesus and be bullied by this devilish shame. You can easily have a real, consistent uh, relationship with Jesus and continue your whole life of being bullied with shame. Listen to me now. Some of you in here will never admit to your shame because of your pride. And so it's an, it's an institutional building block of sin. Because of your shame, it has built more pride because you think that your pride and your ego and keeping a secret of your shame can protect you. But it can't. Doesn't mean you're unsaved. Doesn't mean that you don't love God. What it means is you are stuck in a cycle of self-abuse. Believing, that's what I hear people, oh, hey, uh, I ask them, hey, can, you wanna, is there something you want to do to serve in church? Oh, no, pastor, I'm not ready yet. Oh, okay, why aren't you ready? Well, I've just done too much in my life. Okay, let me ask that question again. Uh, do you, in a different way, do you know Jesus? Oh, yeah, I love Jesus. Are you, are you trying to love people? I don't even ask them if they love people because I know we all work it on loving people. That's hard. Amen. Right? Are you trying to love people? Are you, do you love God? Are you, are you working on loving people around you? Oh, well, yeah. Well, guess what? You're qualified. What? No, I'm not qualified. I can't, I can't serve communion today. I'm not qualified. I've done too much in my life. When I hear somebody say I've done more than everybody else and I'm this big, bad, black cat in society and I'm known for this and known for that, either you're not a Christian and you've not accepted Jesus or you have accepted Jesus but you're caught in this, these tentacles of shame. These tentacles of I can't do it because I disqualified myself. What about if you're a Christian? You're struggling with, with a sin in your life. Did you know that Jesus still loves you? <gasps> wow. What, a, what, a, what an amazing idea that God would continue loving us even when we make mistakes. Well, that's what he does. He loves you for you. He also loves you, and this, by the way, should be the definition of every church. We, we love you for you, who you are right now, but we also love you enough in Jesus to help you not stay where you are right now. Because where you are right now is what you learn by living in this world. And living in this world has taught you to cover things up, to keep things secret. Don't tell your spouse. Don't tell your kids. Don't tell him this. One day, Bailey and I were in a conversation, and he said, Dad, you don't understand. I haven't told you everything. And I said, well, t tell me the worst thing you've done. And he told me. I said, well, did you know that I did this? Did you know that when I was 18, 19, I did this? He said, what? No, you didn't. Dad, you would never do that. Dad, you've been a Christian since you were 15. Dad, you would never do that. I said, well, I did it. No, you didn't. Yeah, I did. I even gave him the detail of how I committed the sin. Dad, you did that. And after he was convinced, we started talking about there's no condemnation in Christ. Amen. There's no condemnation for those that are in Christ. Listen to this in Galatians 5.1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Ephesians 2, verse 2 and 4 through 9 says, Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him 
and heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of grace. For it is by grace that you have been saved and through faith. And this is not from yourselves. In other words, you cannot boast. It is the gift of God, not by your works, so that no one can boast. Did you know that your salvation, your worth, your identity are not based on your works, your actions, or your decisions. There is nothing you can do. I said it a few minutes ago. I'll say it again. There is nothing you can do or not do to add or take away from what Christ did on the cross. If that were the case. If by your actions you could deplete the blood that was shed, that you could deplete the potency that was shed, that you would believe what a lot of, of professing preachers believe, specifically in different states right now and definitely in different countries, they believe that as you got saved, you now became a little god. <coughs> the true teaching. Some Christian books that you are reading right now, those authors believe that when you got saved, you now have become the divine embodiment of Christ and you are now yourself a little Christ. Nothing in the word of God says that. Nothing in the word of God gives us power to override God's will. Nothing in the Word of God gives us a gift of being sovereign like God. Nothing in the Word of God implies to us through suggestion or any other deep-seated theology that we can ever be like Father God. What it teaches us is to follow our Savior, to have the mind of Christ, to dwell with Him richly, to worship him richly, not with profane worship, but what we sing and what we pray and how we say things are not profane to God. Your value is not based on who you are. Your value is based on who Christ is. This author explains it like this, if y'all will just... Listen for a few more minutes before we enter into a time of communion. When God considers you, does he deceive himself in some way or does he know who you truly are? If he knows who you truly are, then why do we preface his understanding of us with phrases such as, in God's eyes, we are righteous or forgiven? Or loved or pleasing and so on. That's a question. Are we trying to say that God is not living in reality? That he is somehow involved in self-deception? Either he really knows who you are or he doesn't. The second question is if you think of yourself differently than God thinks of you. Who is mistaken you or God. So in other words, if you read the word of God right now. And you believe the word of God for what it says. Then you're following what the word of God says. And there will be evidence of your life of you following the word of God. If you read the word of God and you say, you know what? I don't really believe that about myself. Then ultimately you're saying that the word of God is not all sufficient. Dangerous territory, don't you think? Isaiah chapter 61, 3 and 7. It, God gives us his word. He says he, he bestows upon us a crown of beauty instead of ashes. The oil of joy instead of mourning. And a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Instead of our shame, we will receive a double portion. And instead of disgrace, we will rejoice in our inheritance. 
and everlasting joy will be ours. I love this in Lamentations. I'm just trying to prove to you very quickly that you do not have to live under the tentacles and bondage of this devil that we call shame and condemnation. Lamentations 3, 19 to 24. I will never forget the trouble, the other the outer lostness, the taste of ashes, the poison I've swallowed. I remember it all. Oh, how well I remember the feeling of hitting the bottom. But there's one other thing I remember in remembering. I kept a grip on hope. God's love, God's loyal love couldn't have run out. His merciful love couldn't have dried up. They created every morning. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. How great is your faithfulness. I'm sticking with God. I say it over and over. He's all I've got left. And that's really how we need to live our life. Praise team, why don't y'all come up? I'm going to tie this horse up in a second, but I need to say just a few more things. There is a way out. I love Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18 says, Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. This verse starts with an invitation. God invites us to, the, to reason with him, to have dialogue with him, to talk with him about what he's going to say. Then he goes on into a promise that whatever we've done will be washed away fully and completely. And he will make it as if we never did it or it never happened. You should try this week bringing up something from your past to God that you have already repented for. You know what's going to happen? He's going to be unresponsive to you. Why? Because he already dealt with your past. He already dealt with it. He's not trying to rehearse your past with you. You want to go see a, a secular therapist? They're going to continue to bring up your past at every session. Going over the same topic of abuse, the same topic of despair, the same topic of demise, time and time and time again until you've paid them thousands of dollars. And then they'll say, that's all I can do for you. Your past does not have to do with anything concerning your present or your future. Your present and your future has to be submitted into the fold of God. Meaning, God can take your past and wipe it away, but you've got to allow Him through repentance to do that. Some of you in here today may not even know the Lord, so your first step has to be God, I need to start a relationship with your son today. I like what Matthew Henry says about this scripture that we just read in Isaiah 118. He says, though our sins have been as scarlet and crimson, and this is just kind of another way to look at another version, a deep dye, a double dye, First in the wool of original corruption, and afterwards in the many threads of actual transgression. Though we have often dipped into sin by many backslidings, yet pardoning mercy will take out the stain. Y'all have to remember this morning that shame comes from a kingdom, but not the kingdom that we want to go to. Shame comes from the enemy. Condemnation comes from the enemy. The true judgment seat of God comes directly from him. But when he judges the quick and the dead, it will be based on 
his faithfulness. Has the enemy ever been faithful to you? Has feeling condemnation and shame ever made you feel better about yourself? Has hiding something ever made you feel alive? No. You feel alive when you confess your sins one to another. When you confess your sins to God. C.S. Lewis says this, that love is never wasted for its value does not rest upon reciprocity. Meaning when you say that you love somebody, your love should not change just because, that they're, just because their love is not reciprocated. God loves you even at times when we look like we don't love Him. I want you to stay seated for a second. I want to pray. If y'all could bow your heads and close your eyes. I want us just to think very quickly. And hopefully you already have this morning. The most important reason. Or one of the most important reasons that we're here today is. Any visitors. Any, you have folks that have been here maybe for a long time. Maybe you're here today and you would say, you know what, I just don't have a relationship with Jesus. I need to get myself right with him today. I need a relationship with him today. If that's you today, whether you have been away from God for six months or you've been away from God your whole life, I believe that today is the day of salvation. That today you can make that determination inside of you to say yes to him. You don't have to live in shame or condemnation. 